0: Hello there and thanks so much for supporting the Music Career Show. My aim with this podcast is to help as many people as I can turn their passion for music into a career that can support them and their family by speaking to people who have actually done it and finding out how they've done it. With this in mind, I have developed my Music Career Roadmap. This is a fully comprehensive and detailed step-by-step guide of how you can go from dreaming about your ideal career to actually implementing and living that dream. It is yours to download for free and can be found in the description of this episode. If you would like any support at any stage of your music career, you can reach out to me via email at barry at oneladmusic.com. I wish you all the best of luck and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Music Career Show. Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there, and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry, and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about The Music Career Show. Hello, and welcome back to The Music Career Show. Today, my guest is an electric violinist a composer and a songwriter from Monterey in California. She performs as a solo artist full-time working in the corporate world and in burlesque and circus shows. She's toured all over the States and performs re- regularly for some of the top tech companies in the Bay Area and beyond. Her new composition and performance project, Cosmic Expedition, is a journey through space told by artists and aerialists from Dam Circus. That is one of the most fun things I've ever said in my entire life. So this is going to be uh, a really interesting one, lads. And it's my pleasure to introduce Raz Palumbi.
1: Hello, Raz. Hi there.
0: It's lovely to have you on. Like I said, um, that was, that, that, that was a, a, a mouthful, but that was so much fun to say. There was so many fun words in there. Cosmic expedition and aerialists. Amazing Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah, cool. So, Raz, for people that haven't um, heard of you just yet, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you're all about?
1: my name is raz Uh, as mentioned i'm an electric violinist and i play kind of extended range violins violins that have over four strings um five six seven string instruments i compose i'm a live looping artist and mostly a solo artist and we'll get into why in a little bit but they're for the normal reasons you would think Mm -hmm. and i've spent the last six years performing full-time maybe it's more now jesus uh, but I've been playing instruments since I was little. And yeah, so as a as an artist, it's been a full-time living for a while now. I feel pretty settled into to my craft and what I'm doing. So I'm excited to be here and talking with you about kind of how that manifested for me and how what lessons that I might be able to pass on to anybody wanting to get a solo career um, or maybe kind of find ways to create a lot more interesting opportunities in, in mediums or Types of work that you might not have thought would be career supporting.
0: Oh, that is absolutely what I am all about, and what this podcast is all about. Um, I always tell people that when I was a kid, I wanted to be a rock star because that was basically the the natural progression for you. You play guitar. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to play guitar. Well, what do you do? What's a job to play as guitar? Oh, rock star, perfect. And yeah, you didn't realize that there was all these new ways. When, when, when I was young, the or when I was younger, there wasn't all these new ways that there is now of of turning music and stuff like that into uh, a full time career. So I am buzzing to get into all of that. But let's reverse just for a little bit. So where did music all start for you?
1: Um, music and movement actually started really early. I was a little ballerina, you know, when I was a little girl, and things started about two, and then did ballet. For many years until literally my body was falling apart because i was oh. so intense about it uh, and that happened at seven years old so oh my god seven years old i had tendons breaking and i was destroying my body because i was so passionate about it and Jesus. my parents were like let's not do that let's not mm-hmm. have a child that needs corrective surgery at seven um, yeah. so maybe you need a new hobby and i had been asking i don't remember this but i've been asking to play violin since I was four, because so I was a very precocious child. And my parents were like, "Girl, you can only have one hobby." So because <laughs> you're so intense. And then, so when I couldn't dance anymore, that was sort of like my consolation prize was violin lessons. And my mom was kind of upset about it because she really wanted me to play piano or an instrument that you couldn't play out of tune. <laughs> very so, good. <laughs> so I, I was having none of that. I was it was violin or nothing. So I yeah. was seven. I started playing violin and. It was never going to be my career. It was something that my music teacher actually said when she would see me play or in performances, and she would go, "Oh, you're going to be a violinist." And being, me being an ornery shit, if somebody told me I was going to do something, I would at that stage I was kind of like, "No, that's not what's going to happen." Uh, so I was really out of it. Like you're saying, you have this picture of like, what do I want to do? I want to be a rock star. To me, in the classical world, I felt like musicians. It was either you were Beyonce or you were starving in a cardboard box. Like there was Mm -hmm. no in between for those two things. And I didn't see a path for me in classical music just because I I didn't enjoy the culture of it, but nobody ever taught me or showed me that there was another option to play violin and not be in that classical world. So it was never something I actually decided to do. It was just a hobby. It was just something that I enjoyed the mechanics of doing. I enjoyed performing, I enjoyed being in orchestras although i hated the directors because i have authority problems um so so anyways um but then i so i went to university no intention of playing music and i finished university being in a band punk rock band playing violin but it was just like the weekend thing that was my hobby that was my social life was playing music and so again i was i was always i thought that i was going to go in this direction of which is a very valid direction by the way you're still a musician if You make a day job living and you play music in the evenings or you play music as a social side. It doesn't like, I think that's a hard thing for people to really, there's this like dividing line for people of, am I an artist if I don't make my full-time living? Yes, you are. Mm -hmm. You are a valid artist. You are an artist that still contributes to art in general if it's not your full-time job. So I think that was going to be what I thought I was going to do and then went to graduate school and hated it. Like hated the path that I was on and and the career that I was doing. It was like one fateful internship that I was like, nope, sucks. And I was broke and I was in school and I had no other recourse that I could think of to Uh make money. And I needed money kind of quickly. So I started street performing. Yeah, And that became my income pretty fast. Like within a couple of months, I was making enough money to like pay for groceries. And then A couple months after that, I was making enough money to subsidize rent. And a couple months after that, I was making enough money to pay for rent entirely. And then it kept kind of snowballing. So realizing through that method of kind of falling into getting to, like I said, getting away from my authority problems just meant getting outside of the normal box and going okay i'm now in control of my output i don't have any kind of gatekeepers or stakeholders it's just literally me and the people who want to see what i do and are willing to pay me money for that and it's our direct connection that allows me to kind of convince them to tip me and that was a journey in its own but once that once that like limitation was taken out um i was able to make that kind of money and then go like oh wait this is now this is a viable career, because I kind of took out all of the things that were sort of stopping me from progressing, yeah and and it could just be me figuring it out on my own, and that made a huge difference to me. so here we are
0: yeah Brilliant. what, what, what was it that you were doing in university that you hated so much as long as that's I didn't not hate,
1: no, 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 <laughs> yeah. I didn't hate the discipline of it um so i was a, I was a biologist, ecologist, conservationist, so Wow. I mean, part of my job was like to travel to, you know, I spent some time in Australia. I spent some time in Mexico. I spent some time in the South Pacific uh, doing field biology research with coral reefs, mangrove forests. I, I was going to be a conservationist. And that's kind of a, I loved this, the idea of it. And then, so after university, I went into doing um, graphic design and design with museums. So I was working at a museum helping take research and then translate that into something that a lay person would then walk through and see. So you want those that information to be as cutting edge as possible. And so I was doing a lot of infographics, still really creative work, just a different medium. And, yeah. and then so that was in science. I went to graduate school for communications to be basically a science communications person, person that takes research that's coming out, Maybe writes articles about it or puts videos together to help the research groups kind of talk about what they're doing accurately because I think that's a question that a lot of people have when you see an article published in a news source or, or any kind of media. There's some. There's usually something lost in translation there, and Uh that's a hard thing to think about. Like, how do you you need to be able to understand the research you're looking at and not just spit out an article with like those kind of bullshit headlines? (laughs) Like,
0: yeah, absolutely, I I, I got you. (laughs)
1: yeah so I was trying to do that, and I got like the internship, and it wasn't the internship itself was bad. I just got stuck in what is I found out to be the critical issue there of are not going to give you their research early enough for you to do your job because they're gonna wait until the last second. There's no financial incentive for them to give it to you early enough for you to do anything right like they are on a grant program like they want their research to to be as tight and speak for itself as it can but they just don't understand what you're trying to do and then there's also i was in the political side of i worked in canada for a while at this really interesting stakeholders meeting did all of this work you know months and months of research months working with the researchers feeling like i was pulling teeth out of them to give me anything we go to the stakeholders meeting it's for important stuff like governmental stuff in canada and they blow right past those six months of work in five minutes
0: right Okay, yeah. fair enough. Right, that 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 sounds um, yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't I don't really know what I was expecting you to say when you when you said that you you didn't really enjoy what you were doing in college. But I don't know if I was expecting that. I don't know if I've heard of half of that stuff. So that's um, a bit of a U turn then uh, in, in terms of music. And so it was once once you realised that like that all that I can't remember half of the words that you just said because they were so big and highfalutin. Um, so all that stuff. Um, and you 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 put that aside. Was kind of the busking as a musician. Was that your first job uh, as as a musician, or how did I that like work? I had been
1: I have been, I've been definitely exploited in high school by doing concerts as a string quartet for for like alumni events. That I was sort of like this seems like it's crap mm. because you guys. Yeah, so I had done some like professional string quartet stuff back when I was still in that like classical zone. And yeah. then the band the band that I was in in college was a gigging band. Like we were out doing, you know, bar gigs um, for for years beforehand. So it was yeah. the first time I'd done anything like that on my own without, you know, the structure or support of a group of people.
0: Fair enough. And then how, how did you, like, how did you structure it? Did you literally just decide one day, fuck it, here's my violin and there's a piece of the pavement that isn't being stood on and start playing or...
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd been, I'd been doing some like open mics because I'd moved to, to go to graduate school up to Seattle, Washington and so it was a new city. So there was a uh-huh. certain amount of like, you know, you're doing you're exploring the new place because you are going to just try to find like-minded people. So I'd been doing some open mics with my looper and my violin and that had been kind of that extent of my performance chops. But that's like a five-minute performance, not like five not, hours in an afternoon. Yeah, exactly. And And so it was cold in Seattle. I think it's probably the weather is very similar to where you're at in Scotland right now. And it was, it was fall winter, but I just was so desperate because I was like, I'm either can pay rent or groceries right now. And I can't do both. And so if I'm going to get enough money for like food for the week, that's, that was kind of my goal. Like that was the bar. So I'm like, I don't have to play forever. I'll play whatever songs I have. And then I'll repeat them because there's people walking by. So yeah, it was just a street corner. And I'd seen other performers on that street. So I was sort of like, oh, well, okay, I know it's, I know I'm know i not going to get arrested or at least not, not if I do this real quick.
0: Uh, and, not if you're in the middle of them so that there's someone else to arrest before you.
1: Well, you don't want to be in the middle of them, but yeah, yeah. You don't want to be competing because you can get run off a little easier that way. But So I mm-hmm. did pick a street corner and I was like, I'm just going to play for long enough to get grocery money. Yeah. I don't know how long that is, but it was sort of like a nice way of saying like, I'm going to make a little box this is how much money I need. I'm just going to do it and get over myself. And it was terrifying. It was not an easy at- thing to put yourself out in that way. But by, I think it took me 20 minutes to get grocery oh, wow. money. And like by grocery money, I mean like 40 US dollars to 20 US dollars. Like that's how desperately like the line was for me. I just didn't have wow. it. And so about 20 minutes, 20 or $30. And then I was like, oh, that was, that was fine.
0: That's not too bad. That's $60 an hour. Mm-hmm. Buskin. that's the, yeah. Yep. Uh, this is, I've I've had a couple of buskers, well, not, not, a, a couple of people that uh, make their living off of buskin completely <clears throat> on the podcast and I've spoken to. And it's one of those things where if you told your parents when you were a kid that you were going to grow up and be a busker, there's no way that that, that, that would have ever flown. Of course you're not going to be a busker. You're going to be one of those, I don't know, what do people think of buskers? One of those vagabonds out begging basically and stuff like that. But it's, it's such a viable career. It's absolutely amazing that it is such um, a viable career. And it's great that you've, you found that. So $20 in 20 minutes. That's amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, you know, I think buskers should be doing, I mean, because of my science background, I would do um, actually a lot of spreadsheets and i keep a lot of data about what mm-hmm. I was doing. And so that was a huge part of busking that I do recommend to anybody wanting to try busking is, yeah, you're going to just stab at things for a while, but take, notes, keep records, write down stories, however it is you're going to do that, but you need to write down the time, the location, how much money you made and how long you bust. Those are four data points that taken over the course of a career will help you delineate where the successful spots are for you and also your increase in money as you go. Because I started about making, you know, it's $40 an hour to $60 an hour. By the time I finished busking and moved on.
0: Wow. Class, that's 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 more than I make gigging at weddings and stuff. That's that's amazing. See, I'd be useless as a busker then because, um, I am terrified of spreadsheets. I I, I run a business and (laughs) um, absolutely terrified of spreadsheets. I don't know how they work, I don't get it. One of my business coaches done a spreadsheet for me for finances one time, and I was like, and he's like, right, so just put that money in there and then it'll do this. And I was like, what do you mean it'll do this? He says, yeah, it does it automatically. I was like, wow. And this was only about three or four yeah. months ago. My mind was blown. I was like, what Yeah. So- I
1: mean, spreadsheet formulas are really again, because of the science background, I had this like very data-driven mindset of it's it's just there it as information to parse out what's gonna help you and what's not. So I do think like some don't be afraid of your spreadsheets. That's how we survived. And then later when I went on the road full time um with a band and then and then a duo, we made a full-time living on the road work because of Really tight budgets and really tight financial planning and a lot of spreadsheets so so I do think one of my successes in general has come is total spreadsheet format wow. and that's not it's just my personal way of organizing what's yeah, yeah. working and what's not um, but I think however however anybody organizes what's working, what's not, like have a system for telling how successful your ideas are, and that's mm-hmm. how I think you'll find those weird little ni- like niches and cracks in the facade of like what you're supposed to do and what's actually working for you
0: yeah that that's really solid advice because there is no matter what you do there is only so much stabbing in the dark is going to or so so far stabbing in the dark is going to get you so uh be it spreadsheets be it i don't know sticky notes be it your pigeon to yourself however
1: you track yeah, yeah like have a it. have more than just a gut feeling of is this working or not
0: Good stuff. Yep. I, I, I love that. That's, that's really solid advice already. We're only a few minutes in. So you finished up um, busking and then you said you went on the road and, and stuff like that. Tell us about that.
1: So uh, my partner, my music partner and, and my you know, personal partner at the time. So I did finish my degree in Seattle and we had moved there at the same time to be together after a long distance relationship. He's an audio engineer and was working in a studio in Seattle. So it's a pretty, it's kind of like a match made in heaven. We met working in the studio together. And uh, nice, he's a guitarist and a drummer. I'm a violinist and a singer. So we we had made a band together in Seattle that was doing pretty pretty well, gigging a lot. And he just hated the dynamic there. He'd never really fit in. Seattle can be a tough place. Um, I think if you're familiar with sort of like Scandinavian culture, then it's not really as strange, but there's a huge Scandinavian oh. population in Seattle that kind of has shaped the culture a little bit to be quite frosty, in a social sense. Mm, um, right. hard to break into certain cultural scenarios. It's it's just it's I think what happens when you live in the dark for about six months out of the year. You're pretty insular. Imagine.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. So yeah, so so you, you started gigging, and what what sort of music was it you, that you were playing?
1: So we were doing symphonic rock. So, um, if you would think of so. this,
0: this this is a I was I, honest to god, I was not expecting that. Like I'm a guitarist and a singer and I play with a violin player sometimes and I've played with some like kind kind of quite eclectic and, and and interesting, not just your bog standard just playing playing fiddle. I like like kind of creative loads of creative musicians. But never in a million years did I think a duo could play symphonic rock. Amazing. <laughs> You may
1: explain that one. Uh, So that's like, you know, bands like Coheed and Cambria or um, Perfect Circle. Evanescence had a little bit of that vibe to it as well. But it's like the guitars and bass would sort of lay down the rock portion. And then I would make these like sometimes I would live loop it or I'd make these kind of soaring epic orchestral parts over the top of that while I was singing. And so wow. that was the type of music that we did. And that band was called Direct Divide. We have two albums out on Spotify. So if you do want to check out that project, um, there's a lot of audio examples. Um, that comes back around to now because I did steal. You know, it is, is it stealing from previous me? I did pull three songs from that project into the Cosmic Expedition show, which was wow. nice to be able to kind of recycle work that way. And, and those like epic, the very epic symphonic pieces that were really fun to do um, with rock underneath. So if, you do, or if you're wondering what that sounds like, that's how you can find it. Um, so we toured yeah. with that project for about a year, year and a half, and that was just complete DIY. Like We were trying and aiming to get a record deal, which in the, US, the United States is pretty challenging. And so our method, which didn't work at all, <laughs> was to just go on the road and pound it until oh. somebody noticed.
0: Yeah, that 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 hasn't worked since the 80s as far as I'm aware. I wasn't around in the yeah. 80s but as far as I know from watching like telly and stuff it, it hasn't worked since like Guns N' Roses. Um which is which is sad in a way because that's you hear all these like really mad mental stories. I thought of Guns N' Roses because uh, Duff is from Seattle and I think they've something like that anyway. Um yeah, so it 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 didn't work out that way. Did you ever get your record deal?
1: No, no, never. But we oh. self-produced two albums and and I think it's for the best because I don't think that record deals are the same as they used to be. Like there was still this, this we were still stuck in what I, what I like to call now the build it and they will come mentality, which I think is one that we are sold a lot as musicians. And mm-hmm. I think it just makes you easy prey for scams uh, when you're yeah. in that mindset.
0: Yeah, I I I completely understand. It's the whole uh play for exposure thing, just in a a a different guise. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I don't regret any of that. We saw the entire country, and you know, driving around the United States would take us. Oh God, um, we'd do it three months, probably three month windows essentially, and that would be about how long. Three to six months would be about how long we'd be on the road at a time.
0: And did you just load up the car and? Like I, I I'm assuming that you would have had like gigs and stuff booked. And did you do that? Like so how 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 do you go about even planning that? It's but it's probably what I'm trying to ask.
1: I'm so sorry. It means spreadsheet.
0: Oh no. <laughs> oh this is the most. this is this is like there's honest to God, there is so much rock and roll in what you're saying. And at the same time, there's just
1: Oh, No, <laughs> I know. Entire. Um yeah, the first time we did, we did a little bit more of your standard touring where we would do venues. And so mm-hmm. we would do, there's a, there's a couple resources online that have these big catalogs, essentially, of indie venues. And it's called Indie on the Move, at least if you're in the yeah. United States. They might have versions in the UK as well. Um, okay. I do believe they have a catalog. So Indie on the Move was kind of more active. I don't know what it's like now, because it's been you know, about six or seven years since I looked at that. But that was a resource that we used at the time, Indie on the Move, to get the contact information for venues. Nice. And then we would, we would pre-plan the route based off of where we wanted to be at the time. And then we would just email a bunch of people our press kit and apply through that resource. And then we would book dates along, along the route. And then usually that would mean that we were responsible for then going and finding our openers for the same event. And then we were, so we were trying to basically invite bands that we had never met, never talked to, to come do a show with us um, in their town and bring their fan base because we had no fan base. And so that's where that became pretty challenging. And then we would do like Facebook ad campaigns because Facebook was kind of the big social media at the time, Instagram was just becoming a heyday thing but not many people had adopted it. So it was just like a big process and we would book out usually about three months in advance and then we would just sort of catch up. So if we were in a space, we would be booking them the gig three months from now, and then it would all kind of like move like that. So that's why the tours were about three months long, because that's what we could schedule. And then we would like reset and do it again. And that was the first round. Really hard to do. Not much, not very lucrative. A lot of door splits, which is just not a lucrative way of touring. And then merchandise sales. We ended up DIY screen printing our own merch so that we wouldn't have to keep we could like keep up on the demand, so we would go home, like screen print a bunch of merch, get some albums reordered, rest and recuperate, repractice, do another set, go out again. Um, so we did that for like the year and a half, and then we hit on, and then I would busk in between in yeah. different cities to like make extra cash. And then I also had like a remote job before those were cool. Wow,
0: so some, I was like working um... in the car. Yeah, it sounds very, very full on. That sounds like mental. And what? It? So did you must have just lived in like hotels basically for a year and a half? Did you?
1: Oh no, we lived in the car. We we had to pick yeah, hotels when it got cold.
0: Oh wow, that is uh, that's very intense. Fair play to you.
1: Yeah. We uh, I, I had a man. big car. Uh, we had a Ford line that had a bench, that bench that would fold down into a bed. And so when it was us and the drummer, we would swap days. So we would like park at a campground. And then we had a tent and an air mattress. And so who got to sleep in what thing would like switch off every day. So like sometimes you'd be in the van and sometimes you'd be outside in the tent. And, um, and then sometimes whoever had like rolled the dice wrong that day got rained on. So I just remember like just an epically bad thunderstorm in Texas. And we woke up in the middle of the night to just like you just hear. I mean, I think there's other places in the world that it, that this happens. Where you yeah. just wake up to the loudest thunderclap, like so everything's still in quiet, it's the middle of the night, and you just go, "boom, pff, And like the rain yeah. just comes down like somebody just poured a pail of water on you and it doesn't stop. So it's just yeah. really dramatic, like boom and then rain. And so yeah. we woke up, my my husband and I woke up, and we were like, "Oh, poor Val, we didn't put the slip cover on the tent because we were assured by a ranger it wasn't supposed to rain that night. And so I just remember all of us like. And then, you know, immediately goes to 100% humidity in, in the van. And we're yeah. all just like sitting there completely soaked. getting oh, him, no. him and his stuff out and like getting him into the van. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that would happen. I mean, there's stories of living on yeah. the road. Are, but yeah, we, we would save money by just doing it that way. And met some really cool people, met a lot of full-time RVers. And wow. we would, uh, in America, there's a gym chain called Planet Fitness. Okay. And if you pay for a monthly subscription, you can have like a guest come in with you. And they have um, these these fitness centers all over the country. And so we would plan our route along, like stop at a Planet Fitness, t- work out, take a shower, do my hair and makeup, go to the venue. And that was like, that was our bathrooms and our showers and stuff.
0: Brilliant. That's, um, that's really, really cool. That is really, really yeah, cool. no right hotel... Off. No hotels. Well, there you go. It can Ooh. be done. Um, cool. Um, and see all all the 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 while. Were you playing your electric violin, as in like your your solid body electric violins, or were you playing still an acoustic with just a, a piezo pickup or what?
1: I have not played an acoustic violin for a really long time. I mean, now it's it's coming in more, but my I started playing electric violin in in university with a marching band and kind of didn't look back since, and I bought a violin um, because I saw the trans Orchestra perform, which is a big kind of Christmas show for those of you who haven't seen it in the United States, but it's pretty epic symphonic rock music. And one of the guys who originated that project plays this crazy seven string violin that he built called a viper violin. And so I really fell in love with that instrument. And so about when I was 20, maybe 19, I bought a viper. And that's a. And that time I had a six-string one, and now I have a seven. And so they, they look like spaceships. They look like these flying, crazy flying V, yeah, solid body spaceships. And so that's always what I would, was playing because of. A, it also has a chest harness that sets it on my shoulders. I don't have to hold it up, nor do I have to hold it with my chin. And so yeah. that was a big part about being in the rock band was I could sing and play at the same time, and start to yeah. develop that skill set. Same with busking, I'd be I'd be live looping, singing and playing, and that was how I could kind of make that all work. So it was never, almost most of my career has been done on electric violins without any kind of acoustic instrument. I have one now. I mean, I haven't had an acoustic instrument for a while, but I just got a pickup for it in the last like two years because before that (laughs) I was just all electric. It was not,
0: no acoustic or
1: pickup violins.
0: And were they always fretted? So Is that the wood violin, Mark Wood? Is that the guy that makes them?
1: Yeah, that's the guy that makes them.
0: Yeah, and I think that's how I, I originally came across you uh, a few years ago was that I was, I play a load of different instruments, but my guitar is my main one. And like, I play everything like a guitar. I went to actually learn how to play violin. And my violin teacher told me that I play violin like a guitar. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, of course, like I, I I have loads of guitars on the wall here and I've got like, I don't have any really fancy ones. I've just got really mental, cool looking ones because that's what guitar should be about. That's what playing an instrument should be about. It should be looking as cool as possible. And so when I saw there it was a flying V, I was like, fucking yes, that is class. And what was better was that it was fretted. And I was like, so that's that that's this hand sorted anyway for starters. And then I've I've still not gotten my hand around the bone. Um, <laughs> but um where was I going with that? But yeah, were why did why did you choose? first of all was your first one a fretted violin or did you go for a fretted one afterwards or what was the story there
1: um so i needed just a beater violin for the for the marching bands because talk about like you should just be seen that one of our uh in my university the marching band is a little bit uh infamous rather okay. than famous. It's infamous for being basically the drinking club with a marching problem yeah, and... yes,
0: I love that. I love that. That's what I say about myself and, and my bandmate. The guy that I'm in a band with, we're like best mates. And we literally, when, when we see if we're going and having a few beers on a gig, we literally say, Oh, we just go for a pint. And sometimes music happens. And that's like gigs that we get paid for. So I love that. I love that. <laughs> a drinking club with a margin problem. Fantastic. That is yeah. the name of the episode. I'm making a note of that. <laughs> and
1: we didn't even technically march. Like it's uh, I went to Stanford University, so Stanford marching bands and it's a pretty polarizing entity as it were so you don't even have to play an instrument to be in the marching band. You just had to want to be in the drinking club. So you had to hold an instrument. You had to like make a half assed attempt at playing the instrument, but it certainly was not a requirement. So like the quality of the music was could be (laughs) questionable. Um, (laughs) We did have some quality control in place, but I they I just showed up wanting to play violin because that's the Mm -hmm. instrument that I play they really want to start a new one and they're just sort of not sure what to do with me so they stuck me in the section with the piccolos um because we have we read the same sheet music
0: I I, I can see the correlation yeah yeah
1: yeah so I just needed a a beater instrument and I found one on eBay for pretty cheap and so that's the one I first played for a while but I trained as a violinist and a violist so when I bought the instrument I wanted um, a five string. So something that had yeah. all both violin and viola and I could do either one. So I thought that that was cool, right? Like the, the body was cool. It was bright red. Sounded like absolute crap, but who cares? Like it wasn't the mm-hmm. point of doing yeah. that. And so a lot of my showmanship, a lot of my commitment to like the feel and the vibe of what I do was really developed during that time because it wasn't necessarily about playing well. It was about playing enthusiastically and having that enthusiasm be really infectious. And so that was a good training there of like, Rock out, just rock out. It doesn't matter. Everything else, you'll be you. You're not going to hear you anyways. Like you're going to get covered up by the trumpet. Who cares? You know, you yeah. can have some personal. You can know you played the notes right, but literally nobody else is going to know.
0: Yeah, love it. So
1: there was that. It was it was great. And then I met my uh, other friends that I ended up starting a punk band with like a very pop punk band, all girl, all female pop punk bands. And they needed another guitarist, couldn't find one that would play sh- or be able to shred on lead guitar. And well, they were like, well, she plays violin and they can play very fast and she's very good at that. So if we need like a shredding shirt guitar sound, would a violin work? And I was like, yeah, violin works for that. So that's where I started playing a little bit more, um, specifically like rock style of music punk style of music and that's where i bought the the viper so that i could be a backup singer for that band and also play the lead guitar role and you know in, in the united states we have a drinking age of 21 i was 18 yeah. and 19 when that band formed so i was sneaking in to these bars because of those yeah. restrictions and and so i was the i was the designated driver for the whole band for like two years just driving love everybody it. around to all the gigs
0: yeah like, i drink? love it don't worry. <laughs> in, 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 in in Ireland our drinking age is is 18 but just like you I've been gigging in pubs since I was like 15 and yeah. we just kind of it just everyone knew but it was just like ugh, I can look after them and make sure that they're okay if they're in my pub it's fine
1: yeah I got thrown out of a venue once um which was not more helpful because then I just got chased down by a cop for because for, I was standing outside and uh-huh. we would always have these like crazy 80s style, like dress, like fish nuts and short shorts and all this stuff. So I'm like, you just made the 19 year old go wait on the curb where she got questioned for solicitation. <laughs> oh, no. <way. laughs> Not a for me.
0: Oh, no. That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. And they wouldn't let you yeah. in even though you were playing.
1: Yeah. I had to wait oh, until I, I was in. I had to like wait until it was our set time. And then they were going to let me in and we could play the set. And then. I would have to like go outside again. In which case I was after the set out was over, I was just like, like, screw you, find me. And then I just like hid from security the security night.
0: Yes. Love it. Love it. Your orders in the back, shotgun and beers and like making the most of it.
1: I never drank in that scenario because I didn't want the venues to suffer. You know, it's like I if, no, I, if the venues had gotten caught serving, then that's that's we certainly weren't gonna get asked back. So yeah, I would I never for, for nineteen back years
0: before. for nineteen years old, that's far too sensible.
1: Uh I'm pretty sensible. I mean I've I've let loose, but in very controlled ways. Cause I'm I'm quite what's the word? Sometimes I know that I'm pretty manipulative as a person in some good ways. I call it a good way, but I'm sensible when it benefits me.
0: Okay. Well, fair enough. That's that that's 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 good to know. That's good to know. Well when I was so basically sixteen is your nineteen equivalent and I remember me mate. Yeah. Once ruining it for all of us because Valentine's night he got caught outside the pub getting sick, and then the police were like, Come over here to me. And he went over and he was like, Oh, well, taxi. Um, and he ruined it for all of us, but uh, yeah, that's that's a story for uh, uh another day altogether. So I'm glad to see that that some underage drinkers and some underage not even not even drinkers, some just underagers can be underage sensibly. It's great. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: there's also the like when you know you're going to drive all of your, yeah. And drunk friends well no, home. there's that
0: as well. There's in fairness, there is that as well. Um yeah, there's 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 that as well. So no well well well, well done, you don't don't let my yeah. Irishness and and, and everything <laughs> influence younger you into um being bad and, and and misbehaving and stuff like that. But anyway. Well, they um, made
1: up for me spectacularly by taking me to Vegas the day I turned twenty
0: one. Yes. I've never been to, I've been to Atlantic City, but I've never been to Vegas. I've always wanted to go to Vegas. Vegas looks amazing.
1: It's pretty hilarious and and my husband's from vegas so we've right. spent a lot of vegas i've actually been busking in vegas uh which is its own funny stories yeah they're some great stories of busking in vegas for a very short time when we were there we were building our second tour van into a house and uh, at his dad's wood shop just in their house in las vegas and so we spent about two months doing that and in between i was busking so Vegas stories, man. I just did a performance in Vegas for a big conference in January, and so it was nice to go back and like get a little bit of the the rock star treatment and actually like stay in the hotels and and it was for the big um, like elect- consumer electronics show CES. And so to see oh. Vegas not only in Vegas form, but like you're just surrounded by a massive like consumer electronics show that takes up the whole strip and so many hotels and there's events going on all the time and it's crazy crowded so that was a nice different experience to like have a little bit more of like the rock star life experience this year which was fun
0: love it yeah i, I remember i i i I, tou- I toured america very a little bit in 2014 and yeah you do kind of get it's it's not very rock star but it is it's like when you're like i i, I toured i I played in um one of the hotels in, a, in atlantic city and it is it, it, it is it is cool when you're you're finishing up and just like yeah and yeah, it's cool. Um where was I going to go with that? So you 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 mentioned there about playing for the big consumer electronics show and stuff like that. And I know you do an awful lot of of or, 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 a, a a great bulk of your work is through corporate gigs and stuff like that. So how did you get into into that?
1: Um, that kind of dovetailed in with the busking show. Because when you've got a busker show, you can usually play several hours at a time, you know, three, four hours, because that's how long mm-hmm. it takes to do that kind of work. And then that would also translate into doing bar gigs or, or restaurant gigs. And restaurant gigs will want about a three hour set. And so mm-hmm. be able to be pretty, you know, sound controlled and have a small footprint was kind of always key to doing restaurant gigs. So I got into doing corporate work by finding an agent. Uh, here in monterey which is where my parents are so we were we were kind of landing here between tours and i damaged my voice there's too much work too many shows don't talk in the bar after you're singing oh i
0: yeah yeah i i used to live in uh in in salu in spain playing in irish pubs and i done that when i was when i was 19 and we used to sing for up to five hours a night every single night for like six seven months of the year and yeah like you say talking afterwards was 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 enough but we, we we'd stay up until like nine o'clock in the morning every single night singing mm-hmm. in the nightclubs and singing all the Irish songs with all the Irish people that were over there on holiday and completely wrecking our voices and then going and doing it all again. So I basically spent six months singing and shouting and roaring nonstop and just like you damaged my voice. And my voice never came back until Lockdown, actually, funnily enough, um, mm-hmm. so that was one little silver lining about uh lockdown and all that was that my voice finally had time to 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 heal and uh, recuperate. But how did you manage to to damage your voice and get over that?
1: Uh, um, the same same way to get exactly the same way you got it it is the same way, yeah. way I got it. It just shows every single night and staying up way too late, sleeping in a cold van every single day did not help. Um, yeah. and you know, you just you get the thing is you get sick on top of that problem and you have to double warm up and and really take care of it once you've been ill and then yeah. that can be like a little bit of a straw that broke the camel's back and like take you over the edge of really having problems um and so we had to cancel three months of touring and oh, call no. everybody and just say like if i'm not gonna have permanent damage and we have no health care in this country so
0: oh no you don't so oh, no
1: so there's not a solution that can be done medically if you're not willing to pay yeah. exorbitant prices. So the the options were pretty limited to if you don't want to have a, a surgically invasive procedure that you can't pay for and you will not mm-hmm. have help paying for, um, you have to just stop. So yeah. that we had to stop and I had to retrain and I had to do it pretty much by myself. Um, I did manage to get like an ear, nose and throat specialist to confirm that I didn't have actual nodes. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I did invest in the, in the diagnostic of saying like how much recovery, like how far down the rabbit hole am I with this? How much recovery am I going to need? Um, do I have something that needs a sur- sur- surgical intervention or can I just with rest and recovery and retraining fix that this? And yes. the answer was yes, I needed to rest. And so I spent Two weeks not talking. Wow. Drove my husband
0: yeah. crazy. It's the best money he ever, he ever spent on getting that diagnosis, I'd say he said.
1: <laughs> it's, it's really hard to talk on a whiteboard for two weeks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Like, how do you, yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, no, that, that's not whiteboard. fun. I have a mate of mine, again from uh, an, another Irish guy that was gigging out in Spain. How are you, Aaron? If you're listening. Um, and he had to get surgery because he had those notes, again from, just downright abusing your voice. And like, to be fair, most of us didn't go out of our way to intentionally abuse it. The damage was getting done, regardless of whether we looked after our voice after the gig or after the fact, it was irrelevant. All the damage was getting done in just the sheer amount of singing that you're you're, you're doing. And it's, it's, it's like any muscle. It's like anything at all. You overdo it, you're going to end up fucking it. Um, mm-hmm. But so, so two weeks, no speaking. And I imagine there would have been some sort of like, I don't know, Teas or like antibiotics or some sort of something or other.
1: Well, uh, antibiotics are not going to do anything in that because it's it's inflammation. So, um, tea don't recommend unless I actually don't don't do tea because the whole point is you're taking swelling down. Heat is going to exacerbate swelling, so uh-huh. it's not for short-term solutions. Sure, you're you're expanding the capillaries. You're trying to soothe your throat. um, That's why they say like for singers, drink tea, but drink lukewarm tea and don't drink ice water either. So like extremes are where you have problems in those two things. So like super, super hot tea, don't do it. Um, Drink lots of water, but drink it at room temperature, not at chilled temperatures, because you don't want to tighten down your vocal cords either. And so it it was just a lot of research and then relearning how to phonate and I did have a friend um, that was helping me through that with like training. It's like a speech therapist almost to, and and I think I sit, I mean, you can probably even hear it in how I talk. I sit pretty low in my vocal range for speech, which is pretty typical of women. If we want to be taken seriously, we actually speak low. And so coming off of my vocal cords when I was talking in a bar was part of that too, of Oh. Retraining how I talk after singing so that I wasn't sitting low in my range, and that would sit on top of the vocal cords and grind. It's also sometimes it's called um, oh god, vocal fry.
0: Vocal fry.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's a not it's usually used to denigrate women's voices, so it's like a problematic term in itself. But it is an actual descriptor. And the thing you uh, the worst example is like the L.A. girl. It's like oh my god. Oh yeah.
0: okay. That was very good. That was very good. I, I, I got what you meant instantly. It's, it sounded like clueless. Yeah. So
1: that's vocal fry. And it's something that we do in our voices that has like some cultural ties into it. And so, but it's it's bad for your voice. And so we do that and like that wasn't helping. So not only was it relearning to sing, it was learning some patterns that I was doing that I need to come and like retool how I even think about how my voice works. And so that was a good time and I spent so this was like a very long roundabout answer to your question of in that three months time of where I we had to cancel all these gigs I needed some income so I got in touch with a local agency that was representing a lot of restaurants and would um, need constant music and so I got tied in with that agent and was playing um, a lot of residencies in restaurants and bars around this little town in Monterey. It's a big, it's a beachside town um, and has a lot of tourism. So like you know, a lot of seafood restaurants, a lot of bars, that kind of thing that cater to the tourist community. And so they like having live music in there. So I got tied in with that network. And then there's also, we have a lot of golf here. Uh, I'm right next to uh, Pebble Beach, California, which has some of like five of the top hundred golf spots in the world. So we have major golf tournaments here and big time companies will come in and have events because they just want to take their exact golfing. So that was cool. where the corporate stuff tied in. And it just happened to be the, the demographic of the town that really helped catapult that into corporate work. And I'm about two hours south of San Francisco. And so San Francisco is a tech hub. And so that kind of yeah. naturally progressed into getting in contact with some of the agencies up in San Francisco. Violin is a pretty, like, electric violin is a pretty, like, sexy, just set it up and everybody goes like mm. so yeah. being different for them was really good and being able to do electric violin in events and parties did translate into getting a lot of work with tech up in the when i say the bay area it's san francisco bay area it's a big big bay yeah. with a lot of cities kind of scattered around it so there's that's where we think of as like that tech hub silicon valley that's referring to it that was space out
0: there. Mm-hmm. i didn't that's realize that. that where- Ah, okay. I didn't realize. See, uh, we we were talking before we were. Uh, I I started recording here, and um, like you, us over this end of the world, we take for granted just how huge, um, America is. The United the United States is like you're down. You're like across the road is like five hours away. Do you know what I mean? As, and like when you, when, you, when you see like when, I I think I I recognized the the term the Bay Area, um, from watching um Kill 'Em All Metallica. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing that that's where kind of they were from, and I was thinking, oh, that sounds like San Francisco, but I didn't realize that that was like two hours away, like California. As far as I know, California, the state, is like four or five times the size of Ireland. So, like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, it's mad to think that, like, yeah, it's 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 yeah. You you, you talk about these things as if they're like next door neighbors, and I suppose they are. But um, yeah, we all well, take I for granted over this end. Of Cal-
1: California is a state, it's longer than it is wide, so north to south is a longer distance. And
0: yeah. then I think
1: it's about, I want to say it's like six hours wide, most of the state.
0: Six hours wide?
1: Six hours wide.
0: So Gee, like, that's like from... twice, that, that's twice the width of Ireland. I can drive from one coast of Ireland to the other in about, I'd say four hours. You'd want to give yourself four hours and you could get the entire length, yeah. breadth of Ireland. That's mad. Yeah.
1: So, California is six hours wide and about, tw- I want to say, 12 hours long. No, more than that. 14 hours long.
0: Jesus.
1: From San Diego to the top of... And depends again, depends on the route that you take. If you're doing coastal, it's a lot longer. But, um, yeah, it's a big, big, big state. And, yeah, and it's not even the biggest state. And it's not even, like, Texas was interminably long and flat and boring. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there you go texas sort your life out for fuck's sake come on now
1: so, texas has a lot to answer for and
0: all right come on texas start
1: up um, yeah well that's why <laughs> there's like this joke where americans we can't say just um like we can't say that we're from the united states uh when we say we're america that's dumb because there's a lot more of north america than just you know, the united states but uh then you know there's this joke that like why do you always say your state like because each state is the size of a country, so yeah, you might as well.
0: We're yeah, not plus, all the same. Yeah, plus there's only so many names for every for 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 everything. So like it's like I I went through an Aberdeen in um, where did I go through it? New Jersey. There's one and in the Washington way, too. There's a one in, in Washington. There you go. Is it- oh, is Carco Bayn mm-hmm. from Aberdeen in Washington? Is it? Ah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. So Aberdeen. If you say, "Oh, I'm from Aberdeen," that could be Aberdeen, Scotland. That could be Aberdeen, Washington. It could be Aberdeen, New Jersey. It could be fucking Aberdeen on the moon. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, Um, getting a little bit off topic here now, calling out all the states and telling them to sort themselves out. So we'll try and get back, (laughs) try and get back in the good books with some with some of the rest of them anyway. But um, so yeah, so that that's great stuff that you were you 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 after finding sort of your niche in um the corporate world, and then. Or in the the, the gigs for uh, gigs for the corporate world uh, and all that, and I know exactly what you mean about being something um, different. It's really easy to sell yourself if you are. A mar- in a market of one in aberdeen i'm the only person that i know of anyone else is more than welcome to come and, and, and challenge me on this that uh, i'm a one-man band so i play drums with my feet while i'm playing guitar and harmonica and stuff and it it sounds ridiculous but it's it, it, it sounds it, it sounds ridiculous when i explained it but when you hear it, it sounds it, it, it i think it sounds okay i'm doing okay of do, um, do
1: you play multiple drums or just the kick
0: no, no, no. Like it's a fully contained drum kit at my feet. Nice. It's called a farmer, farmer foot drum. So I've got like seven pedals. So like a kick and a hi-hat. And then under my heels is like the snare. And then I've got a hi-hat clutch over here. And then another one that hits a tom. And then I've got a little toe post up that does a, a crash So it's a, it's a full drum kit. Um, farmer foot drums. Look them up. You could definitely. Yeah. With your, with your, your flying V fretted uh, seven string violin, you could add farmer foot <laughs> drums.
1: Yeah, I, well, I, I... Go on. Oh, well, so when I do my live looping set, I use a very strange looper, but I, my looping set has gone on to completely iPad-based looping. Oh, okay. um, so I do finger drumming, and then record, ah, yeah. over, overdub my own drum patterns that way. So I'm doing finger drums, and then I'll do multiple loops of, of drum patterns just to, like, set that loop, but I can't change it up in the middle be- unless I want to do a second a set of finger drums, so yeah. so I'm still kind of stuck in one drum pattern, but I do have drums as part of my live looping set.
0: Oh, there you go. Another thing you can look at is the Digitech Trio. I literally just ordered one yesterday for uh, my band. It's a it's a it's basically a fancy drum machine which sounds a bit like shit, but it listens to. It's really clever. It listens to what you play, so it's like a looper, but it listens mm-hmm. to what you play for when you arm it. Then when you start playing. Oh, when you start playing, it'll generate a line and a drum beat based yeah. on what you actually played. It's really, really clever. Now, it might sound really shit and electronic when I actually use it in my in, in my band, but um, we'll we'll see. I really just want to rule it out more than that. Now, but there you go. There's a couple of uh, solutions for you. I was going to say your husband yeah. being a guitarist and a drummer, he could get a family yeah. foot drum. There you go. There's the two. E. That's all he ever need.
1: Yeah, and he did. He would do. Um... So he played drums when we were just doing the duo tour. Uh, uh-huh. The the drummer we the drummer needed a social life. We're just like, I know you haven't gotten laid in two years, dude. Like, I'm really sad <laughs> that I know that. So like, go, <laughs> please, <laughs> like, please do something else for a minute. And that that meant kind of leaving. And that that's fine. But when you get really tight with these people, you're with people sometimes. You're just like, I know way more about you than I should.
0: Just, yeah, exactly. Becoming I, I, I a little
1: codependent. Um, so and then we went out just my husband and I, and he was playing drums, and so I was live looping, and that was an interesting question of like we had to really sync up to a quick track because he yeah. was playing drums live. I'm controlling the loop. He's got no control over when, when things happen, but he has to stick to the click. So we had yeah. a click that we could both hear, and that was what we were using to like base the loops off of so that the loops were quantized appropriately. But then he would also play synth. And I would sometimes loop his synth with me.
0: Jesus so I Christ. could
1: control when he was looping in. So like he would loop in a baseline or I would loop in his baseline, but it meant that we had to know exactly when the loop was going to happen and like really practice that. So like collaborative looping was what we ended up doing, which is a really cool thing. And and to be able to like pull in his synth or not or like reset it and all the things we had to do on the fly when we invariably like fucked it up so I mean that was a really good collaboration for him and he had to learn how to play like precisely to a click in order for that to work and he was playing electronic drums so that we were still sound contained because that was one of our yeah. big things that was sellable to a lot of the venues and so our second tour round we did breweries across the United oh, States cool. and we, yeah so we did a whole year and a half of breweries
0: Oh, that sounds amazing. I've never, ever heard of collaborative looping. That <laughs> just sounds like, again, the same as spreadsheets, looping terrifies me. Like I can do, like, I, it's it's easier for me to play guitar, drums and harmonica at the same time than it is to try and play along with myself okay. after the fact. It yeah. just, I, I just, my brain is just not wired that way. So I'm always in awe of anyone that can actually uh, get get themselves in, in into a loop and keep it going, and if like, like the two of you can that's well done well done well, amazing. I mean,
1: we have to have a leader right like they, I mean as long as you delineate who's really leading it and that's we would do that in the band, so I would have certain yeah. parts of of even the full band tracks that yeah. I would be looping live and and I would be stacking violin lines to get that really symphonic sound and so yeah. the technology was really about like parsing it down so i love to teach how to loop i love to describe like my process of looping it's it ended up being huge in terms of how i compose so looping was kind of where i learned to compose so i my composition work is actually very much based in loops which is makes it kind of more almost in the electronic genre because of the the way the structures work and so now i can loop with my ipad or i loop in ableton Live.
0: wow great that that yeah i i i i i like I say I'm in awe that you're able to actually keep on track of of all that I would overthink that and I would be absolutely terrified that Ableton would just decide to update or that (laughs) I I, I hadn't got or I I hadn't got a track armed or I'd soloed something by mistake or some sort of stupid shite would happen that would just absolutely fuck up the whole thing and if one thing goes oh Jesus no yeah Um, yeah it's
1: happened I mean I can imagine Technology will not always be your friends. You know, you can rely, no. I can totally do that. You can rely on yourself a lot easier than you can rely on a lot of technology. Technology will fail. Yep,
0: sometimes. absolutely. So you were gigging away and doing all your, your corporate stuff and doing all your looping. And when did the burlesque end of things come, come into it? Because that's, uh, that's not something that I've ever, ever heard of. Oh, I know okay. what burlesque is. I know what burlesque is from that episode of The Simpsons. And that's about it.
1: Um, so burlesque, that was kind of a post-pandemic thing. I think we all had our, our strategies to cope with the pandemic. And and mine was definitely, you know, my whole career was just kind of gone. You know, a lot of yeah. us, our whole career yeah. was gone. And, yeah. and I yeah. never, I never wanted to teach violin because I just had such a hard time, again, with authority. So I didn't really want to be that authority that I had railed so hard against. And due to a kid what you know i felt like i'm a great teacher by the way like i loved my violin teacher as a small child like i'm not saying that she wasn't amazing because she was she was i think the reason why i kept with it even though i knew like the culture of classical music wasn't for me but like she was just so lovely that she made me really enjoy the process in spite of my hatred of that authority figure um so in fact i i was almost like to live up to her and teach something that i do not remember learning and not having gone to school i think like the pedagogy of teaching you can get there right but i think when Uh you start so young on a such a complicated instrument you don't remember the tools or strategies or ways that you got around problems sorry about that and um so that was a big one i didn't want to teach something i felt like i will teach adults and i'll teach people that want to expand outside of of their limitations or, or work in contemporary violin would be happy to do that. I love teaching technology and looping and, and using amplified violins and all of that yes. side of it. I do enjoy, but that's more like a workshop based thing or on a case by case basis, but yeah, like a studio full of kids was not appealing to me because <laughs> oh, their parents bring in expectations. And I'm sure you see that too. Yep. And Mm -hmm. in classical, in a classical instrument, their their parents tend to bring in classical expectations. And I was like, Mm -hmm. don't want to deal with that. So I didn't have like an online studio that I was going to try to build, but a lot of people did. And there was live looping and performing and live streaming.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. We did a live streaming series, but we did it for the local musicians in town. And so I didn't do it for myself as much. I kind of dabbled in it.
0: But, but it wasn't
1: my mode. It wasn't. It didn't feel like performing. So we kind of just held on and, and malaised around. But in the middle of that, I had been doing a form of working out. I, I did pole dancing as a fun form of working out because when I'm walking around and you're picking up amps all the time and you're putting speakers on stands, you, you have to be able to lift 50 pounds mm-hmm. over your head on the regular. So pole yep. dancing was kind of my way of staying in shape. and making sure that I had enough upper body strength to to be pretty independent, which is important yep. to me. And gigging around and stuff like that was just sort of like, I can't not be in, in shape. Yep, so pole 100%. dance was the way I did that. And when I couldn't do it anymore and on top of all the pandemic stuff, it was just sort of yep. like depression pit. Like, mm-hmm. And yep. it was very clear that the pandemic was going to destroy the dance studio. That's so I bought it.
0: Oh, you pulled out. That's class.
1: So I bought it. And it's two, it's two blocks from my house, which was one of the reasons. I was sort of yeah. like, I can walk there from here and help yeah. it not die. So I bought it. And that was, I also was kind of making a bet, which is fair, that people after the lockdown would want to go back to their fitness routine faster than music was going to come back in a corporate sense.
0: Yeah, that that that's good thinking because an awful lot of people got like the live stream fatigue, or they got the online lessons fatigue, and they were like, yeah. So that yeah, I I I I get that.
1: So I was kind of introducing a new business into my world and like new business model, but I was really ready to have something different, and so to have the the pole studio and then jump into teaching that, I didn't have any experience teaching that, and so I did do an online course on how to teach pole dance, but. The benefit was that I wasn't great at it um, where I remember not being good at it. So teaching strategies to adults that of something I learned as an adult was much easier for me because I remembered how I overcame those problems. And then yeah. I really fell in love with teaching fitness and yeah. dance. And so like, that was a whole different business that would sort of help like bubbled up and supported not in 2020, but in 2021 while the work came back kind of slowly and then by the time i was doing that you know i'm teaching right now i teach about eight hours a week at the time i was teaching 12 of a pretty like gymnastic style fitness and through that got introduced to circus and burlesque because those performances really dovetail so i was meeting other dancers and they were doing circus and burlesque and met a local troupe here in town that does burlesque And then that just sort of through the pole dancing side came into doing burlesque, came into doing circus. And then being a violinist, I again had this niche, right? Like there's other pole dancers, but there's not violinists there in that community as much. So, so then I started writing and performing on violin for those shows because it was a way that I could still be like a lot more involved in and part of that scene. So that's where I met the damn circus group. And then I started getting more work doing collaborations or com- or com- combinations of aerial performance with violin incorporated so now i can do violin in the air
0: wow that's fun- yeah, yeah that that reminds me of tommy lee playing drums upside down on a roller coaster right. yeah that's, that's so so cool you should get on to that guy that makes his his violins and say that that's a selling point that you can you can play <laughs> these violins on a, on a on a dance pole
1: oh he's aware he's really excited about it uh, that one, um, that instrument, I found out the hard way though, it's a very long instrument. So works for certain apparatus is what we call this thing. So it works great on pole, um, not so great in a hoop. So I had to get a different solution. I have a different violin that I use in a hoop because it's a little shorter because I would get up to the hoop and then like the edge of the headstock would be, I'd have to like duck around the edge of the hoop to in order to make that work. So it's sort of, it's been a lot of trial and error and it's yeah. still not as graceful as I want I've got a performance actually And oh, it's sort of raining again I was hoping I wouldn't do that today oh, Because no. I have a hoop I have to set up outside Literally this week to practice for a show In about two weeks that like, uh, It needs to stop raining so I can set up my, my rig
0: Sure enough And so, so does that where, where do you go about doing these Circus burlesque violin shows It's not like down the local pub or is it? Or what? What's the story? Yeah, or you, a, do you do you, you work that into your, your corporate stuff? How, how how does that work?
1: Um. So there are the there is the local pub. We literally you do
0: you do burlesque circus stuff and oh wow,
1: yep. Uh. So there <laughs> is literally bad. the local pub, our local bar that we love and is really supportive of the arts, and they have they have jazz music on Sundays and they've got bands and DJs throughout the week. So at once a month we do a showcase burlesque show and at at the bar and we usually sell it out standing room only people have to wait online outside it's a really popular night i, I mean because, because boobies like. Right? so that's actually the, we're what i'm doing in fringe is i'm performing with that burlesque troupe at the fringe festival for the best of burlesque show and that's <sighs> that was what took me there to begin with so i'll be performing in scotland uh with the burlesque troupe that i work with and we're doing the pitch that they did to have me come in was we do a, a dance to the song Roxanne from Moulin Rouge and I do okay. all of the violin, like the tango violin live.
0: Oh, amazing. That sounds so... I've, I've never, ever, ever heard anything like that in my life. I can't, I can't imagine like... Like, see, I'm <laughs> just thinking like a local pub here or in Ireland just has like old men and like their dog like if that if that sort of a show came on um,
1: we're gonna be in scotland we can make it happen do the uh, one-man show with with burlesque involved and i think it is really fun to do that and like just like i said authority problems hello it's me um i'm the problem to quote taylor swift i'm the problem it's me yeah so uh burlesque is a jar right it's takes people into a different space it really Uh messes with their perceptions you're doing some really interesting playing around with like female sexuality, which is pretty jarring for people to even see and be okay with and so um definition of those problems but i love it i love messing with people's expectations in that way
0: yeah and yeah i love that 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 that's amazing that's fantastic. I love I I love hearing about it, and I, I'm definitely going to try and get down to to Edinburgh to see that. Um, hundred yeah. percent.
1: And I've I wanted kind of, to inform actually my my street performing as well. So my goal in Edinburgh is to do um is to be part of the busker set as well. Ah, uh, one of the things that I do uh, through pull is I'm I'm pretty strong, so I can do what's called acrobatic chair. So I just have a folding chair, and that becomes the thing that I. Do arm balances and chest balances and and so i'm it's very gymnastics like so uh-huh. my idea is to do a 15 minute show like miniature show twice around because they're the sets in fringe are thirty minutes long um, mm-hmm. where I kind of characterize I, I have this costume all sorted out it looks like if Bach, you know with the, all the wig and stuff if like that file went completely broke and yeah the character of it being like starting off with a very classical piece very technical classical piece and then just starting to get like a little uncomfortable and Uh messing around in my chair to the point where all of a sudden i'm upside down playing violin and i'm running around and like doing a burlesque act playing the whole time in this completely open environment and i won't strip all the way down because i don't want to get arrested but like bringing burlesque into street performance into musical performance and like just mashing the all of it together for this big festival and and making it really interdisciplinary which is a really good challenge for me it brings me back to my roots but it also incorporates the the crowd work i mean burlesque is a massive amount of crowd work and the chops that yeah. you get from interacting with people and doing that kind of vulnerability just gets people in a really interesting way that i've never seen music do by itself so like trying to combine those things of like what's what are we doing as musicians we're just communicating with people making them feel something burlesque gets like it's like a straight shot into some really vulnerable places for people but it's also really empowering so i really enjoy that melding of interests and and i think any art is about progressing in your in your art and finding ways in which the unique things that you enjoy about it, like, like you with like, I really like really unique looking instruments. Like what's the point yeah. if they're not going to look cool and yeah. your interests outside of your main thing, I think really should inform what you pursue long-term and like how you improve or otherwise you're just stagnant and you're just going to yeah. do, you know, rinse and repeat and that make, well, that would make me
0: cry. Yeah. So. I get you. Oh well, no, that's, um, that's, that's absolutely wonderful and good for you. Just a word to the wise. If, yeah, even in 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 August, Scotland is cold. So just bear bear that in mind.
1: <laughs> Thirty minutes is not going to be that bad.
0: Oh, jeez, I don't know, no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, no, no, a, a, amazing, amazing. So tell us about then Cosmic Expedition. What's the story? What is that? What's the crack?
1: So Cosmic Expedition is a show, and the the closest comparison I can make to somebody who's never seen. A burlesque show or a cirque show or a Circ variety show is is literally it's like circus Soleil. So okay. you've got, I've just met this incredible group of professional aerialists through the same corporate um, circles mm-hmm. as as actually my some of my performance corporate circles. And now I have about three circus agencies that I work with that will okay. hire me to come in and DJ for circus shows for corporate events. Um, so the the agencies have really put me in together with these groups of great aerialists. I did a show right after the pandemic, I got hired to be a violinist for a variety dinner theater show. And that's where I kind of got introduced to the main troupe that Dam Circus. And so it's been a show that was written by the head of Dam Circus. Her name is Luna Finn. And she really enjoys putting together these, these Cirque shows essentially. And they were going to do can music, but it's not, or like covers, which is mostly what you do in variety shows. But I was like, why don't I just write it for the show? So I wrote the whole score for the show in Ableton. And that was a really cool process because I would get the, the artists and I had to work together pretty closely and they were really alarmed starting that process because they were like, well, we're used to doing our choreography to music. That's already here. And I was like, well, I can send you like short demos of like chip, like sections of songs that I've written. Um, and then you can base off of that. Or you can just do what you want that mm. you would think would be cool. Send me video and I'll compose to it. So we would kind of go back and forth iteratively where I would send them a clip. They would dance to it. And then they would send it back and go, okay, well, it's not long enough here. Or I, I need to do a little bit more here. And then I would rewrite the track. I'm um, watching the clip and Ableton does have a screen view that you can actually do, com- you can compose to video in Ableton. So like that oh, was a nice thing to figure out was I would have a double screen and the video would be over here and I would be working with like my MIDI files or my live violin work re-recording. And then I could see how the music was syncing up to where they were in the choreography and yeah. then like keep iteratively going. So each song, each track in the 90 minute show probably went through about five or six drafts
0: wow that's a huge amount of work Huge yeah. amount, of work.
1: and it's not finished i mean like the first show that we did with that was kind of for all of us like it was a draft like that was the yeah. part of a longer process so i'm trying to get more opportunities for us to perform that show probably in the fall and that i would love to go and revisit that music and actually hire some musicians to re-record it with real instruments and, yeah. and not just like the canned Ableton. And uh, I do love, I use Native Instruments a lot when I'm composing, which is yeah. a really great software pack and, and a huge amount of instruments to choose from and some of the best sample libraries for like the cost, I think that you can even yeah, find absolutely. and I, yeah, they're amazing. So using that and using, um, I really like Native Instruments Guitar Rig 6. Have you messed around with that at all?
0: I haven't I um as much as I appreciate the things like native instruments and all that sample tank and all that kind of jazz as plugins and stuff um I like to make noise and make like the air move so I've got a massive like the biggest amp you've ever seen in your life um like I'm I'm a huge Van Halen fan so everything I have guitar wise is like Eddie Van Halen and Yeah, so I, I just u- use all of that. So in a very roundabout answer to your question, no, I haven't messed around with uh, with, with, with that just yet, but I'm aware of what you're on <laughs> about. I know exactly what you're on about.
1: Yeah, and so Guitar Rig 6 is a, is a software modeling system that you can get as a plugin for a lot of different DOS. Um, digital Audio Workstations is what DAW stands for. So that's your groups like Ableton or Pro Tools or Logic. And yep. that way you can make put your instrument directly into your recording software and then like change how it sounds for violin. Although I agree with you, I love moving air when I can, nothing is built for us. Nothing is built for our sonic texture. Nothing is built for how we create sound. So while guitar tools can work just fine, they need a lot of sculpting because of the dynamics of the bow. So like that's been part of my journey as a violinist, electric violinist is to say that like, the tools available through the guitar world are great. And I have amps and I love, I use Mesa Boogie, um, yeah. tube amp. I think tube amps sound great with violins. Bass amps can sound really good with violins. There's, yeah. We're so on that higher register that I'm not a huge fan of Fender or Marshall for, for violins. Just like because bright, they tend too to brittle. be. Yeah, too bright, yeah. too brittle. So you can make it work. Actually, we have a Fender twin reverb, the new variations that are okay. not. 500 pounds they're so light oh wow so i do like our new fender that because they're digital models so you will now actually find those companies making digital models and putting them in cabs
0: ah uh, yes i I know exactly what you mean yeah yeah right and it it it, 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 sa- it saves your back that this 5150 uh pv amp that i've got it's the mark one from like 1995 and it literally it weighs an absolute it's like it, it weighs a ton it's basically a head with a two by 12 cab completely in in, in one unit it's not the size mm-hmm. of any other it's like the, it's twice the size of any other combo i've ever wow. seen in my life um so yeah yeah
1: and then no wonder you're not wanting to go take that down to the five minute <laughs> wave pub no, God forbid, <laughs> so i also use a lot of line six Um The Line 6 Helix line of of tools for the same reason, because it's all modeling. So when there's not a solution to for me anyways, and I can use digital tools to sculpt and and do that myself, um, I do prefer that. I would love the ability to go back to having like a massive pedal board. I really enjoyed my massive pedal board. But when I say massive pedal board, I need about five or six pedals in the chain to just do that sculpting job before I yeah. even get into the fun stuff. Yeah. So that was kind of part of it was I needed, like I had a preamp that was really specific to piezo pickups to like help tone down the grinds mm-hmm. that you hear with piezo with a bow. And then I had a bunch of MX pedals that were, that were like EQ sculptors um That were just a visual e- EQ that I could sculpt down. In fact, I on my phone for the longest time, I just had my favorite settings of that pedal as my background yeah. screen, so that when I had right. if they got knocked about, then I could see I could like reference this photo. I didn't even have to open my phone to do it; it was just there.
0: Genius. As Genius. Yeah.
1: Touring problem well, Oh, uh, <laughs> like somebody has knocked around my MXR EQ, and I need to reget it back to its settings that I like. <laughs> um that and then i have like other other eq's on the back end and overdrives and delays and stuff like that. and so when it all got put into like one digital format the quality wasn't any worse in my opinion. i do love pushing air through an amp when yeah. i can get away with it. but 99% of my work in corporate is you need to just set up and get your stuff down on the floor and go. and a lot yeah. of times if i'm doing aerial work i can't touch anything i'm in the air. so it has to be something that not only is compact, but it has to be really reliable and it has to not get knocked about. And I can't be fussing with, you know, patch cables or power problems in the middle. So Line 6 has been a good model for that.
0: Yeah. It's something that I never considered before um, is that, yeah, of course, all these guitar amps, they're not going to be, um, they're not going to be geared towards like the electric violin or any sort of like. Even I, I play I, I play electric mandolin, um, in 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 my band, and even at that, uh, like I'm at at the moment getting a new pickup wired for my electric mandolin purely because it doesn't, it just doesn't match up with with an electric guitar amp. No matter how much you try and and EQ and match it and and and, and try to tone down all the harshness and the t- and the top end sparkle, there's just it just doesn't match up. So um yeah, it was it's 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 interesting that someone else is having uh that issue. I never would have thought of it. I would have just I I I tend to plug ev- absolutely everything into my my fifty one fifty. I plugged my my acoustic mandolins into the fifty one fifty once just for the pure hell of it. Um <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I plugged harmonica yeah. into it for just for the pure hell of it, and that was fun. But uh yeah.
1: And I've done direct into a lot of different scenarios and setups and and so I've got a really specific effects chain that I'm always happy to get into because my thing is like, I think some people get very proprietary and weird, like Metallica, about their setups and how they run, you know, their audio chains or their, their sound chains. And I just think that that's such a waste of time because it doesn't matter if you're using the same tools, you're still not going to sound like the same player.
0: Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. So yeah.
1: I'm super transparent about what tools I use. I'm super transparent about like the solutions that I found because I feel like the better, the more violinists are familiar with those tools, and the more that they talk to audio engineers and the people in clubs about what they're doing, and we can share that information. It, I might show up to a club one day, and the audio engineer doesn't boost the high end when I plug in.
0: Yeah, it would be, be lovely. Yeah, it would be absolutely <laughs> lovely. Um, yeah, I, 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 I feel you. I feel you. But in, in fairness, I don't have any gigs that I turn up to. And I'm always the sound engineer. Um, oh, OK. That's, that solves yeah. that
1: problem. I mean, the well, amount of time. And then now I work with a lot of DJs. And so I I do DJ simply because yeah. I got so sick of talking to them about it. And just like, I'm just going to take your gigs because you know nothing about sound and it's driving me nuts. So I, 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 no,
0: that was the next thing is like DJs think they're sound engineers and they are just simply not just simply not yeah they love living in the red and they're just like you're just like oh stop please
1: yeah the amount of times i've shown up to like gigs and they they i tell them what i need in advance which i try to keep it like stupid simple i'm like Mm -hmm. one quarter inch input or one xlr input and you can choose so like whatever boards you have i'm gonna be able to work with it but they and then i've come showed up and now i have a cable that i i have an adapter that i want to I wish I didn't have to have it. It's those like double RCA,
0: it's a quarter cable.
1: inch. Yeah, I'm like, that's not like the impedances alone.
0: I know. I'm going yeah. like,
1: that's not how sound works. I
0: hate you. No, I know, I know. It it is. It's uh, it is soul destroying. And that's actually a, a very good way of looking at that. I never thought of it that way. Is that? Um, suppose it all it all it all starts with you. Not not nothing changes if 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 nothing changes. So it has to start somewhere. Start yeah. somewhere, so 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 good for you not being a, a a gatekeeper like all them people with Metallica. Do you remember did, did you watch Stranger Things? Yeah. On Netflix. And do you remember when when Master of Puppets was on was on and, and like that epic scene where Eddie was on, on like in, in the upside down? And then people yeah. were going mad mental online. It's like, Oh, you only fucking know Metallica from like Stranger Things. You're not really fucking a, a Metallica fan. You're just like, fuck off. Stop being a dick. Yeah.
1: Well, even Metallica was just like we don't care how you buy our music or why wh- you buy why our music.
0: And why would they? And why would they? The, 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 someone that knows Master of Puppets from Stranger Things, their money is just as good as, ever, as someone else that has the entire back catalog seven times. As the fella yeah. in, in our local pub at home when we were 16 used to say, our money is just as good as someone else who is of age. So it's all good. Like, it all swings yeah. and roundabouts.
1: And I that reminds me of like one time I was I was playing in a one of the restaurant bars and it was late at night and it was during some kind of golf tournament and I had I have this rule like violinist that I always get asked to play Devil Went Down to Georgia. So oh, yeah. and I'm fine with it, but I'm just so tired of being like that's apparently the only song I know how to play is Devil Went Down in Georgia. So that's I have hard. this rule. Just one, I, I mean, it's a, a fast it's a fast riff but like yeah once you've done it a million times it's not hard anymore it's just like the same thing i mean i do need to actually practice it more than i do so that i don't embarrass myself when i do play it but for the longest time too busking i would get that request and yeah. i had the best response like i found my best strategy when i'm when something is requested like or free you know um, uh free
0: bird or oh, don't oh, anyway. know that guy died today. One of the, the, the last original members, of dinner died today. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, didn't, I've, I haven't been on Facebook or like any social media. So like, well, there you go. There you go. It's early morning. Not early morning. Now it's almost noon for me, but like morning for me. Yeah. Uh, so no, I did not see that. But
0: well, there you go. See, it's because it's, it's I'm actually in the future, you see.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're, you're in the evening times at the same day. So you are in
0: the... Yeah. I always used to wonder as a kid, is like, why did... why. This is so stupid. But I was always like, why do I not just phone somebody in Australia? Because the lotto has already happened in Australia, in Ireland. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I was like, how has nobody thought of this?
1: Time travel is real and nobody knows. Exactly.
0: It. It's like, what do you mean you're five hours ahead? Tell me the fucking lotto numbers. Anyway. Um, yeah. I love that so
1: much. I'm, but my strategy on. for a, a request, like say you're a, bar, a pub request and... And so when people ask me to play that song, I go, okay, 50 bucks or yeah. you have to sing it. Oh, I will, I will take your money or your dignity. Fair enough. Right. Because it's never done me wrong because if there's a song that somebody's willing to sing and they don't want to pay, I'm just sort of like, well, you can have the song for these two things. Money is one gate and dignity yeah. is the other gate. And usually whatever they pick, I'm fine with. Because I've had people decide to sing it and it's just this like everybody comes together around this. This person is now going to sing the song. They're going to sing Devil with Down in Georgia. It sounds dumb when I sing it because I don't have that like deep southern twang and and it yeah. doesn't sound that good. So they just want to hear the riff.
0: They don't. All right, that, that, that's all anybody wants to hear. That's it. I used right. to be on, on harmonica and people used to think it was so, so cool. And I was like, just like you, I don't have that, that sort of an American accent. I've got a, an Irish accent. So I was singing Devil Went Down to Georgia in an Irish accent.
1: I think that would work, though. But, but yeah, it's, it's my way of getting out of it. But, so I did that. And then apparently these guys at this bar, they were like, yep, here's 50 bucks. And then I, apparently that set off a bidding war for what song I was going to play next. And, and they were weird. trying to outbid each other for, my, for me be, basically being their jukebox. And I was like, great, this is perfect. But meant that that, some songs that I'm like not super familiar with playing. Um, but the one that I was familiar with playing was Enter Sandman. And I got that request in like a hundred dollar bill. And I was like, yep, this is what we're doing. So I did a whole like impromptu live looping version of Enter Sandman. Oh. Pretty fun and hilarious. So that was like my little Metallica like moment to shine where I'm like.
0: Yeah, that's a far better way of dealing with it than what I do. Because I get asked for Wonderwall and Wagon Wheel instantly and I hate Jesus I hate Wagon Wheel I absolutely do you know Wagon Wheel do you
1: oh god yeah
0: I I I hate Wagon Wheel my god I don't know if I've ever hated anything as much in my entire life as I hate Wagon Wheel and I usually tell people to fuck off it's the worst song in the world and get get an imagination and listen to some better music and that's usually how I deal with it just have
1: them Um, sing it or or demand a higher tip
0: no because they're going to sing it
1: like a drunk asshole but that's not your fault
0: yeah but then if i let one person sing then i have to let everyone sing and oh, we don't get tipped over this end of the world at all. Uh um, it does not it doesn't really happen. Um that was one thing i do really miss about gigging in, in 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 the states was one night we were we were playing and we were literally on the last song and like we were only 20, 12, 10 years ago 2021 20, at the time and uh this this crowd came into the pub anyway and this and they says oh will you do whatever song it was and we says oh no we're finished sorry. And someone says, oh, no, 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 you can't be finished. No, that's not happening. That's not happening. And we were like, well, it fucking is. And um, he was like, no, no, no. How much to, to play on for an extra an extra hour or whatever? And my bandmate says $100. And I says, each. Just not not realizing that we'd actually get $200 straight into the bucket. And we played for another like 15, 20 minutes and they left. And we were like, grand, perfect, sound, extra 200 quid. And yeah, so yeah. That's, that's one thing I, I, I really do... Um, do think that um we we should incorporate over over here It's usually people send up shots and and pints and beer and stuff, but if I, like if I'm driving that's no use to me
1: yeah, that's not helpful. um that's actually so back to burlesque yeah we, burlesque is a high tip environment because it's the same thing. like people were literally and I've had this happen where I've been like doing something upside down or like i'm in I'm in my hoop or I'm doing something like that, and I've had my like, tips like bounce off my face because they ball up dollar bills really tight and they throw them at you on the stage so that's always been funny but because it's like you take clothes off and people are like yeah and they throw money at yeah
0: you. that's the so I'm pretty yeah high
1: tip. I, I think i'd be very alarmed because it is sort of my metric of success right so like being in the united states i think now I'm a little nervous coming over there for busking, but I think busking seems like it's different in terms of like that tip expectation.
0: I uh, know, don't don't, yeah, no, no, busking is definitely, um, yeah, because you're not getting hired by Edinburgh to play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, don't,
0: I don't even know who you Edinburgh City Council, I suppose, is who you'd have to, or whatever. I'm, so we 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 don't get that. It's not that it's frowned upon around. Like if if it, it happens on occasion, um, mm-hmm. but it's very very rare that like I, I would say I I do. Hundred two hundred gigs a year, or I would have. I used about last year. I Would have done about two hundred gigs in the year, and I'd say twice people tip me.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so here was the thing I used to do when I was when I I had a before the pandemic. I had a regular, you know, every once in a while I'd do like a monthly set as a DJ violinist at a yeah. local dance dance club, and the bartenders I knew the manager and the bartenders, and if there was a certain bartender there or manager there we had a deal. And this is actually something borrowed from a strip club. So if you can yeah. get this working, it works really well. Where you say, if somebody buys me a drink, uh-huh. charge them for the drink, but give me something that looks like it and is non-alcoholic, and we split the cost.
0: Oh, genius. hmm Genius. So you can't get away with that here because I drink Guinness, which is like, how uh, are you fake that?
1: Get a whiskey shot, dude. I always Go get, for. um. so I would get, uh my drink of choice in that scenario was always gin and tonic. Easy to Yeah, because you can get
0: away with that, no problem at all.
1: Right. So but that's as a DJ, right? And so like yeah, yeah. then they'd be like, What do you want? And I was like, I want a gin and tonic. And so I said, if I order a gin and tonic, give me water with a lime in it. And if I order anything else, then then you can give it to me. But like that's the drink that I'm gonna order if I don't want a drink. Very good.
0: And there maybe it's like
1: deceptive and lying, but it's like, you're going to pay for a drink for me and I can't drink as many drinks as I'm going to get. So take their money and just like split it out. You take half of that cost and I'll take half of that cost. And like, we both make a little money on the side, but then you-
0: I love it. Before we finish up, is there anything else that you're, you're working on just now?
1: So I have the Cosmic Expedition Music. Um, I'm hoping to have that out in a downloadable format so people who can't necessarily see the show can still hear some of the music. That should be coming out in the fall of this year. And then I'm also maybe going to get finally a third solo album out onto all the platforms with some of my original songs as well as some of my looping live looping work and covers. A lot of that stuff it actually it does already exist on YouTube. So if you'd uh-huh. like to see any kind of the work that I do or, or see any of that, and see me actually live looping in real time, you can go to YouTube and search Razvio, as well as Spotify. I have two albums out already um, that are mostly my live looping singing and violin work. So lots of content. If you're interested in what I do, if you would like anything about I guess, the philosophies that we've talked about today. Uh, I'm an open book. I love chatting with people. Please DM me on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can also reach out to me through my website, razvio.com, and happy to like chat about anything as it seems I just like to meet other people that are interested in music, interested in arts. Um, if you are local to Scotland, and I know that's a big country for you guys. No, it's, <laughs> not, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's
0: not that big. It's not that big. It's It's about four hours wide, I'd say.
1: Yeah, and, and I will be at French Festival and I'm hoping to release the details of that where I'll be and, and get on that kind of busking train. And I'm sure I'll be posting on social media when I'm actually there um, over in Edinburgh. So I'm excited That's to egg. get back over to Europe.
0: That's excellent. Well, all of those links will be in the description of uh, the episode. For now, let's uh, just finish up with a really quick, quick fire round, and we'll, we'll 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 let you go. So, quick fire round is just some like I like like I kind of explained, It's like icebreaker questions at the end because there's no sense, there's no fun in doing things the right way around. So, but they have nothing to do with music or anything like that. Just a bit of crack. So, question first question Raz. What is uh, the most adventurous thing you've ever done?
1: I played violin in the middle of the Bikini Atoll which is where the United States tested nuclear weapons. It's on my YouTube.
0: <laughs> it's literally the most American thing I have ever heard.
1: It's, it's pretty out there. So yeah, that's on my YouTube. That's the craziest thing I've ever done. It's going to the middle of a nuclear test site and play an instrument.
0: Okay. I I that that is going to be hard bet. That is going to be hard to beat. Right. <laughs> um What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Mm, the Philippines. Oh, I love you. I'd love to go to the Philippines. When we there, was, what, what, what was the crack with the Philippines?
1: Um, so my dad's a marine biologist. And so every summer we would go do different research sites in the South Pacific. And the Philippines is insane in terms of you meet people. Everybody's friendly. None of your travel plans are going to work the way you think they're going to and it's just an adventure the whole way through but like the culture is amazing the food is incredible and the people are just some of the most like lovely helpful people so it's like you don't mind that your travel plans have all gone to hell because everybody's just helping you solve them all the time oh,
0: Cool, i love it i love it i was over in uh, like singapore and hong kong and bali for our honeymoon a few years ago and it is you're right it is just everything over that end of the world is just better it's just so much better and so much nicer and friendlier and everyone just does what they're meant to do and they're just sound and it's great mm-hmm. um cool right let's do a couple more what is the funniest joke you know
1: oh um what do you call a drummer without a girlfriend
0: i don't know homeless but um there you go <laughs> a
1: lot of, uh, lot of drummer jokes
0: an i lot of drummer jokes yeah yeah god love them they 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 do get the 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 wrong end of the wrong end of the stick ah jesus christ no <laughs> <laughs> Enough, of that. Enough of that, right? Let's do one more thing. Let's do one more thing, uh, or one more question, and um, we'll leave it there. What is the biggest risk you've ever taken? Are we playing in that nuclear place as well? <laughs>
1: that was that was actually pretty pretty legit. We were there with a film crew. It was fine. They wouldn't have risked themselves. Um I think it always feels like a big risk to go from making a living, doing something a bit more stable, relying on other people, to going at it on your own. So. Yeah. Uh, but once you get in the habit of jumping off that cliff, the next time doesn't seem as big. So the first jump off the cliff for me was definitely touring and being kind of essentially homeless and dealing with that, of living in the car. Uh, so I think that was what felt at the time, like the biggest risk in terms of change, buying the pole studio and, and getting into an entire different business model was also another one. But by the time you're kind of used to that, this, and you've landed on your feet a couple of times, what might in the outside world seem to be a bigger risk doesn't feel that way because you've got a little bit more practice at landing on your feet so i wouldn't say it's always the first one the first leap that you take off that cliff and then when you land on your feet you get to maybe minimize the rest of them even if they do um if they're bigger risks financially or whatever so yeah. that first tour would
0: be it i think i think that's a lovely to 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 end things on um as I said, all links to uh, where you can find Raz and all that and kind the of jazz are going to be in the uh, episode link and description and all that jazz. Raz, thanks very much for your time today.
1: Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you. That was the Music Career Show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the Music Career Show.